right. Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Either podcast number 18. Ooh, 18. Let's, um, well, we're just going to jump right into it. So uh, today's podcast, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the recently announced spiritual successor to Sweet Coden, Ayudan Chronicles, 100 Heroes. Uh, so this was just announced uh, this week as of this recording. Um, it's being developed by a new studio called Rabbit and Bear Studios, uh, which was founded uh, this year by Yoshitaka Mur- Murayama, who is the you know original lead on uh, the first, uh, the very first Suikoden game. And I think he stuck with the series from part one through three. Is that right, Sean? Uh, yep. Okay, uh, yeah, so um, I'll just give a quick rundown uh, of the uh, all-star lineup that they got developing the game, uh, and then and then we can uh, talk about our, our impressions on that really amazing gameplay snippet uh, that they, they released as well. Um, right, so the, the uh, director of the game um, is uh, Yoshitaka uh, Mur- Murayama, right? Is that, is that correct, Sean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so he, he's, he's uh, in charge of the story. Um, and, you know, he, he was the lead on Suikoden, Suikoden 2. Um, and I believe he worked on part three, but he left before the game actually came out. Uh, so the character designer on Ayudin Chronicle is uh, Junko Kawano, uh, who was also uh, an artist, uh, art lead on Suikoden, uh, also Suikoden uh, 4. Um, and then the system design and direction uh, uh, is by Osamu uh, Komuta. Uh, and, you know, he's another veteran of uh, Sweet Coden, including the Sweet Coden Tactics game. Uh, and then the art director uh, is uh, Junichi Murakami. And uh, he's not a Sweet Coden veteran, but he worked on Castlevania, Aria of Sorrow, uh, you know, one of the best uh, 2D Castlevanias. And he worked on Oz. Uh, do- did you guys play Oz? Does anyone remember this Konami game called Oz? Vaguely. So, Vaguely. So, okay, yeah. quick tangent here, because this that's what Art Eater is all about. Um, Oz was a, uh, a 3D uh, beat-em-up kind of post-Devil May Cry stylish action game um, for the PS2. A really beautiful game. And the really cool thing about it... Oh, it 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 was themed after after Wizard of Oz, but it looks like uh, like Garo, you know, like the Super Sentai show. It looks like a very adult Sentai show. Really, really cool designs. Um, so it's like the Super Sentai Wizard of Oz, and you control a party of three, um, and you you know the your other party members are computer controlled, but they're actually quite intelligent. And the game had a great great combo system where where you could juggle enemies back and forth like a volleyball. <laughs> like you launch someone and you like beat the crap out of them and then you launch him over to like your buddy across the screen and then he starts like hacking away at them and then he launches him over to like, you know, the other character. And it, it was a really cool game. So um, if, if, if you can, check out Oz too. Uh, Oz was a, had a different name in the rest of the world, right? Oz is the Japanese oh, name. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what was the American title? Oz. I'm sure it had like a uh, more dramatic sounding... Sword of Etheria. <laughs> that, that was the, uh, the English title. Yeah. yeah okay. I, I knew it had a different title, uh, but I haven't played it. Yeah. Okay, but uh, back back to uh, Ayudin Chronicle. Uh, the the composer is uh, Michiko Naruke, uh, who uh, was the composer for the Wild Arm series, which had fantastic music. I, I can still whistle that that, that first theme. Uh, and then uh, another composer working on the series is uh, Matoi Sakuraba from the uh, Tales of series, a veteran of that. So 
if you like, uh, you know, classic console J RPGs, uh, th this game has uh, got an amazing lineup. Amazing! It looks killer. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's jump right into that that gameplay uh, example that they showed. It's it's really short. It's like less than a minute long, but man, it looks great. <laughs> what, who who wants to start? Um, I mean, I'll I'll start. Uh, right. as, as as someone who. I feel like I was like RPG adjacent when I was younger. Like I played the important ones, you know, and I always knew of just the, you know, the bevy of like Japanese RPGs and RPGs in general. And, you know, so Street Coden was a part of my life. I unfortunately never had a chance to finish, but I played a de decent portion of the series. And given how much I play other games, you know, I kind of like not forgot about it, but it just wasn't really. Uh, at the forefront of my mind and when I saw this trailer for 100 Heroes it it took me to a place like it took me back to like you know being in high school like graduating high school uh, like just seeing how the game felt in terms of the design seeing uh, just how much love was already being put into this game visually already uh, it's something that it's you can't you can't not see it. Um, you know, when I saw it, it, it basically told me that, like, man, this stuff still works. You know, the, the, the way that a lot of classic uh, Japanese RPGs were, like, that feel is still something that can, like, envelop and, and really, like, wrap somebody up into, like, what they want to show people. So uh, it made me really excited. I mean, it was only, like, 21 seconds. But um, yeah. just from what I saw, I was like, man, like, I'd carve out some time to play that. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was really impressed with just the initial trailer alone. Uh, you know, what what really struck me about it. So, uh, first of all, if you're listening, please look up this this trailer. Um, it's not even a trailer. It's like 10 seconds of gameplay. It's a, uh, it's it's a, a true teaser. <laughs> it's a real teaser. Ayudan Chronicle, that's spelled uh, E-I-Y-U-D-E-N uh, uh, Chronicle. Did did I get that right? Let me let me say that again. Yeah, e i y u d e n Ayudan Chronicle, Hundred Heroes. Um, right. So they shared this snippet, and it's like you immediately, you know, like 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 James said, like you get taken back in time to like playing these these classic RPGs, these sprite based games, um, and yet everything about this is actually very up to date. Um, it has that timeless appeal, but. Uh, you know, like th these these sprites are like actually very high resolution, and then there there there's this really I love that it it takes place sort of this like three quarters behind the character's yeah. view, and then they're also like spread out all over this 3D stage, which, which is quite detailed. It's actually quite high end 3D, all sorts of fancy lighting going on. So they figured out this brilliant way to like have these appealing looking sprites, but also have like this really dynamic modern camera and a lot of like very modern lighting. And uh, there, there's even like real time lighting on, on the sprites. You know, these the days it's possible cool. to like do have normals maps on, on sprites and all, all sorts of effects going on. So, you know, like it, it's, this is not just a nostalgia grab. This isn't like, oh, hey guys, let's, you know, let's redo that thing we did like 30 years ago. Th this is, uh, you know, like, like we were talking earlier before the podcast. I think James, you said like, 
this is like if they could do that with current tech, right? Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. It, it reminded me, it's like this idea of like, you know, when you're a kid, you're enjoying uh, the games that you're growing up with. And we all have that moment where we're like, man, what if they could do this? You know, and yeah. I can't speak for anyone else, but I know sometimes I would dream up this kind of stuff. And, yeah. and like, what if they could make it look like this or like that? And, you know, you wake up, you're like, oh, OK, it was a dream. But, man, that would be really cool yeah. if one day that could happen. And this trailer embodies that, but it actually is real. Yeah, um, I, I, I think like if if you were a kid and you, you loved sort of the, the very particular artistry and craft of uh, those games and the sprites and the very like idiosyncratic drawing styles, like this is what you thought video games would look like in the future, right? Not not like photoreal 3D, but like just crazy stylized graphics like this. Yeah, it's this is such a delight. Yeah, um, it's it's something that it's like the more that I'm looking at it, like because I've I've watched it at least like ten to fifteen times. Uh, you you get more out of those twenty one seconds each time you look at it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like you pick apart like how beautiful this game is, and you know it makes me think of like Dragon's Crown. It makes me think of like Vanillaware in general, but in a different way where it's like. This is this is the new the new normal of of what you can do. I mean, like the the camera being this dynamic with two point five D sprites and like just the synergy of like three D. It's it almost feels like it's too good to be true visually. Yeah. <laughs> like like it's 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 amazing. And I you know I'm I'm I saw it on IGN, but I'm actually looking at the uh, the Rabbit and Bear Studios official site. Um, and they have like art and stuff there. They have oh, like it's just oh my gosh! Like the the character designs are just to die for, man. It, it's like it's a particular era, but there's like this hint of like we know that it's 2020, and we're still doing something that's classical, but this feels right. It's hard to explain how an artist can do that, but I feel like that's what's happened with. Uh, this game as well like everything about it is very welcoming even yeah. if you're not necessarily familiar with it yeah there um there, there hasn't been not just a sweet coding game but like just I, I can't really think of any game that looks quite like this from before like you know it's got little shades of like uh octopath traveler with all the um yeah. effects going on but but the the way they use the camera and everything is is really unique um but okay, Sean. Sean, I know you you have um, always loved this series. Sean has always been a champion of Sweet Coden for for as long as I remember, uh, way back in the day before Sweet Coden Two cost you know two hundred dollars on eBay. Sean, <laughs> Sean loved this game, you know, back in the days when uh, everyone was like, oh, you know, well, like you know, Final Fantasy is obviously the best. Sean was like, hmm, hmm, I don't know. Right, like this was your game. I, I remember uh, back at art school, like you, you loved this game. So please, Sean, tell us, tell us how did you feel when this game was announced, and then how did you feel when you saw that first gameplay? <laughs> uh, Richmond is correct. Um, I think I leapt out of my chair when I heard about this. So, <laughs> um, but but so it it was like one of those like evolving feelings where. Um, 
one of the uh, if you're if you're familiar with uh as a, a series the the fan base has a, a fairly active facebook group called the uh Suikoden revival movement which i'm a part of i don't know if it's that big but you know if you're into the game it is uh and i think for a while there's been a there's been a lot of uh there's been a lot of push for konami to re-release these so like if you don't know now basically the best way to play the original Suikoden games and we're so just to, to clarify, and we'll don't worry, we'll get into all the, the DNA of this. These are the creators of the original two games that I think really made the series, Suikoden One and Suikoden Two, uh, which were both on uh, PlayStation. Um, there obviously have been five games that are all very good, but they're not uh, they're not quite where this DNA is coming from, and we'll we'll get into that. Don't worry about it. Um, but these these creators were creators of at the time two D beautifully crafted sprite driven RPGs. Um, and nowadays, like, uh, I think Richmond even knows this, uh, even though you can play it on an emulator, I actually, I owned a PlayStation Vita explicitly because you can buy this on PlayStation to play it, but only on PlayStation Network for the Vita. You can't actually buy it on an actual PlayStation, which is bonkers to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's um, and, and <laughs> what, what I will say, uh, is on the smaller, really nice Vita screens, the sprites look fantastic. It's it's a really it's it looks good, but it's it's not very accessible. So the revival movement idea has been like to either remaster or re-release these games. And one of the reasons why uh, Richmond alluded to that it's such an expensive title is because it, it came out around the same time as Final Fantasy VII, and it really got overshadowed, unfortunately. And it became a niche cult classic, perhaps not surprising, which is why there are you know three more games after the the first and second ones. So so Shriek and Two is the one that came out around when Final Fantasy VII did. Uh, Shrieken and One did quite well, but um, ultimately it just it didn't get the time of day. So the the release of the actual title wasn't wide. So they didn't produce a lot of copies. Um, I uh, I actually had an original copy, and uh, I actually gave it away to I gave away my PlayStation and a number of games to um, I think a shelter or something where kids needed it more. So part of me is like maybe I shouldn't have done that, but also like they needed the games more than me. But in retrospect, looking back, I went to go rebuy a PlayStation copy of it, and that's why it's like $200, is the actual physical copy of the game. They just didn't make very many of them, r relative to other games at the time. Um, um, yeah, I, I think it was close. It came out within like the first year of the, the PlayStation, right? Uh, yeah, uh, correct. Yeah. So, and so, just, just for some historical context, um, during those first couple of years, Sony of America did, did not like 2D games. They, they intentionally, as part of their branding, wanted to position the system as a 3D system. And they stopped a lot of 2D games from being released in the U.S. And, and Suikoden uh, 1, uh, in particular, is very 2D. And then part, part 2 was 2D on you know 3D backgrounds. It had some camera moves and stuff. Uh, just just so, giving some context, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, going back to my reaction and why I was so excited. So um, obviously the, the whole the whole kind of history there is that uh, myself included as well as many uh, Shrikanen fans have wanted a return to the style and a remaster of it. So at first it was like, oh no, they're not making a new Shrikanen. But then all of a sudden you're like, wait, they are. It's just clearly it's not backed by Konami. Uh, I've hissed in our chat and I saw this in the comments of one of the videos and it actually really worked for me, which is like, Basically, someone said, like, oh, Konami's like, oh, we're into Pachinko now. And the Shrikunen creator's like, fine, I'll do it myself. Um, <laughs> it, and that is that is effectively what's happening and probably why they actually couldn't. And I'm, I'm speculating here. I don't know. Um, I know Konami recently hasn't had the best relationships with its uh, creators. We're not going to talk about who I'm talking about, but you know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah. 
And this is a case where I think they probably um, couldn't actually create a Shuikoden game, but they really wanted to create this type of game. So in the teaser, I was gonna, and we'll get into some of the historical highlights, but I wanted to talk about the things that excite me where I can see all of the DNA from the original Shuikoden games, even in this like 30 second trailer. So if you played uh, one or two uh, Shuikoden, there's uh, the main type of a character-based battle system. As Richard mentioned, it's um, uh, one of the reasons why uh, the Shuikoden series is, is based off of a, a Chinese epic that's about a real event, a real set of events called uh, Water Margin. Uh, in, in Japanese, it, it effectively is pronounced Shuikoden, uh, which is why it's named that. But it, uh, we'll, we'll get into the, that later. But overall, the idea is that there's a... Uh, Muriyama had kind of this inspiration around a lot of heroes. So the idea that this is even named 100 Heroes uh, indicates that when you're looking at the battle system, the previous one was 2D sprites projected onto like a pseudo 3D background. So if you look up screenshots of them, both games, Shrieking in 1 and 2, there's kind of like a isometric slant to the battle. Um, and all of them, you're, you're kind of at the cameras at the back of the characters slanted isometrically toward the enemy. So it's got like, uh, I don't, I, like, Richmond, I don't know if the environments are actually 3D or if they just did a lot of tricks to make them look 3D, but it leads me to believe that there's probably at least a little bit of a 3D engine in there. Uh, part two definitely was was 3D because they they did a surprising amount of camera work in that, like around the 2D sprites. Like you'd have, you know, the camera spinning and then they actually like drew the sprites from different angles to to accommodate that that camera angle for uh, for special mm -hmm. boss fights. They they didn't do that for all 108 characters, but when they knew it was like one on one, they they went the extra mile. Yeah. So so yeah. So I don't want to I don't want to talk about the character design DNA that's visible yet, but just the battle system. So yeah. that that kind of behind the camera thing is still it's still here. But as James and Richmond were talking about the evolution of how they treat the camera angle from behind. Uh, and the fact that it's still got the 2D style sprite, like uh, within a 3D space, is so much more evolved to the technology. And uh, I also want to talk a little bit about the sound design because that's part of what makes it feel like a Shuikoden game Ooh. already. Is if you listen, uh, it's very, very evident near the end. One of the characters casts a um, a rune type spell. So in Shuikoden, as part of the original story, the way that magic is handled is via uh, a system they call ruins, which are effectively um, they're effectively like balls, uh, glass balls that are embedded on people's hands. And what they tend to do is they usually do some sort of uh, casting where, you, where like they have a thing where they're, make, they're moving their hands or they're speaking. Sometimes they're using kanji uh, as, a, as a way to reference that they're casting a spell and they're, they're unleashing it from this rune that's embedded on their hand. I think they can also embed it in their forehead and other places. Uh, very kind of Chinese epic style of understanding magic. Uh, so I don't think they call them... They call them ruin something in this game. They, they have a, a, a shrieking and adjacent term for it. But effectively, when he's casting and you're, you see him like moving his hand and, and the kanji pulls up, just the, the way that it comes out of the ball, I think I've even seen things where people were talking about that Shrikadin may have invented that style of uh, a portal behind someone with hundreds of things coming out of it behind them and then attacking the enemy. There's tons mm. of examples of them doing the, the it. portal One spam. Of, the portal spam, yeah, I think that uh, Shrieken was one of the first games that really created that in their cinematic angles for certain attacks. Actually, one of the uh, in in Shrieken and Two, uh, the the antagonist slash protagonist Joey hit one of his ultimate spells. Uh, he has the the black sword ruin. It, he has a, a spell where he casts something, and there's just like a portal that comes up and just 
millions of black swords come out of the portal and then they fire at the enemy. So that kind of idea where he's casting and just the sound design, if you compare it to Suikoden, how Ruin sounds and the trailing off sound as it attacks goes towards the enemy, it sounds exactly like Suikoden 1 and 2. Like it's, it's, uh, it's definitely like an audio light motif that, mm. that clearly like they're not trying to reference Suikoden. It's just the same creators. And that's just a, an element that they clearly lean on, the motif of the kind of the like that you can hear as the as the the fireballs move out. So to me, that like hit all my nostalgia buttons like in the right order. And then on top of that, you start seeing other things that again we'll get into the character design a little bit. But the the fact that uh, you have characters that are rough like roughly kind of represented on different layers. So even in the original ones where they're kind of on two layers, uh, mm -hmm. it's not as it's not as detailed as here because like they only had. Uh, front row and back row, but in the Shrikanen games, it was important. You had mid-range characters that could attack from the back row or the front row, but if they attacked from the back row, they couldn't attack the back row of the enemy. You had short-range characters that could only attack from the front row. And then, of course, like if you had someone that was like a caster or a long-range one, they could attack from the back row. So it was actually important to configure your your um, party in a certain way so that you could manage how they how they interacted and attacked. So like uh, obviously like if you had someone that was really powerful with a sword, they would have to be in the front row because they could only attack uh, to the front row from the front row. So in this case, and I'm just speculating here, but I can see in the trailer, some of them are like on rock, some of them are more forward on rock, some of them can jump, some of them are clearly casters. And I, I think what they're showing us here is that there's a ton more nuance and complexity to that that system where it does matter where your characters are placed in the battle. Yeah. And you can you can even see like what James said, the more you watch it, the more you see crazy details. They also have something that was really a big deal at the time with 2D sprites with Shrikanen, which is in the battle system, there's a lot of idle animations happening with the characters. So uh, and it has to do with their status. So one of the characters that it, that has the katana, she's kind of like kneeling, and you can see that her her, the cloth on her kimono is slowly moving, and then she's, like, meditating on her sword. And I think what's actually happening, I don't think it's an idol, I think she's actually charging her attack. Because in Shrikadin mm. 2, that was what would happen when you would charge a powerful attack for certain characters, is they would go from their idol into a waiting animation that would be very reminiscent of what they were about to do. Um, so again, this is, like, entirely too much, like, deep dive and speculation, but that's why I'm seeing so much of the DNA. So, like, I was watching this and I was like, wow, I can see all of the things that they wanted, that they were doing before, like all these techniques, except they have full 3D now. They have uh, the ability to mix in 3D effects animation. They have the ability to actually manage multiple layers of, um, of height. And so, so they can take that layering uh, tactic and add much more complexity into the system. And I would, and they have, they still have casting, they still have ruins. And of course, like in the game, uh, previously, combining ruins and placing them in certain places, and the characters you had in the battle system together often had combined attacks that would synergize together. So my mind is just exploding with all the stuff that they're probably going to try to do with all of that DNA. Yeah. Wow. That went that went deeper than I, I realized. Yeah. That and I, I, I would I would imagine that there's like uh, there's even more. Like uh, I don't know if we want to jump into it yet, but. You can even see, uh, actually, I'll jump into it a little bit. So yeah, go for even, it. And, and I, I think James mentioned some of the character designs. So the main character design is so shweekened, it's not even funny. 
like it's like a it's a teenager, seventeen year old. He uses a non-standard weapon. So like in Street Fighter One and Two, you have Tier, and uh, you obviously you can rename the character, but their their canonical names are Tier and Rio. So Tier uses a, a two-handed staff, um, and Rio uses a Tanfa, a Twin Fang, which is a very unique weapon. And in this one, you can see I don't remember the name of the character. I don't know if they named him yet, but he looks very similar to Rio and Tier. Uh, he even has kind of the, I don't know what the name of the garment is, but if you look at him, it's a very Japanese style of uh, heavy shirt on the top that kind of drapes over but has a belt. Um, so very similar design, and he's got what looks like another non-standard weapon, and you can see him use it in the battle system. And uh, one thing they've always done with the non-standard teenage uh, quiet protagonist in Shrikoden is... Uh, they usually have a weapon that allows them to do multiple types of spinning moves. Um, uh, and you can see him do it in the battle system. And this is why the Tanfa were so cool in Shrikunin 2. And even the double-handed staff was with Tyr, is they could do a lot of twirling and a lot of acrobatic movements with it. In this case, he has like what looks like two handheld... Um, I'm blanking on the name, but I think they're a type of large Psy. Uh, kind of like what Raphael and, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would have used. He's using uh, Chinese hook swords. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you can see that he doesn't just like he like he jumps in the battle system, and, and he basically like launches himself with them, and he uses the momentum of the swords to spin himself. And I'm just looking yeah. at that. I'm like, oh, this is such a sweet and protagonist. It's not even funny. Like, I would bet that he doesn't talk at all. I would bet that all this dialogue is driven by the player. He's 17 years old. I would bet that he's quiet, unassuming, just wants to live his life, and he's going to get thrown into a giant political conflict that will, like, redefine the rest of the world while he just quietly tries to save, like, his brother, his sister, or his father. So that's that's all I got just from seeing that character design. Wow. Wow. A lot of love put in there, huh? Really a lot. Such a treat for longtime fans. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah. I want to add uh, one more thing that I noticed before I let y'all jump into like really deep diving is another thing that's indicated is something very shrieked in them is you'll notice that there is a, a hero that attacks that is kind of like a wolf style man. Uh, so if you didn't know, so Shrieked is also one of the series that depicts uh, kobolds as as like dog people which kobolds are not always depicted that way. If you look at like World of Warcraft or Dungeons and Dragons, they tend to be depicted in a much less uh, flattering manner. So seeing a, a uh, personified character of that's a wolfman that's in your party that has like a, like looks like he's probably a pretty smart guy uh, uh, in terms of like, they're actually very intelligent uh, in the Shrikadin games. And a lot of the very most respectful characters are actually coming from the, the kobolds. So I don't know if he's a kobold, but I think he probably is. And you can see he has that kind of jumping attack animation where the uh, the camera follows him. So I wanted to mention, again, another, like, super Shrikadin thing that they, they stuck in there. So there's, like, a lot of there's a lot of nuggets in that, like, 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I just want to give, give a little more context to uh, everything we're discussing. So um, as Sean mentioned, uh, Suikoden is it's named after a uh, classic Chinese novel. Um, you know, in English, it's called the uh, the the water margin, um, and sometimes it's called Outlaws of the Marsh. Uh, in Chinese, sometimes it's called All Men Are Brothers. That's an alternate name for it. Um, it yeah, and in in Chinese, it's called Shu uh, Hu Chuan, and it's um, it's one of the four great classical novels of Chinese literature. So the, these are the 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 greats. These are very super influential novels uh, written in. 
the vernacular, you know, not in like super traditional Chinese. Uh, these these were things that common people at the time could could read and enjoy. Um, and actually, all all four of them, well, at least two of the other ones are probably going to be familiar to a lot of uh, uh, listeners. Uh, the 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 other three are uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, you know, which has spawned countless video games. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the Dynasty Warriors games, so many uh, Chinese movies and shows. And uh, yeah, so that, that's already a huge influence on video games. Then, of course, Journey to the West. That's the story of the, the Monkey King. A huge influence inspired Dragon Ball, again, inspired tons of video games. Um, and then the third one, uh, other than, you know, the, the water margin, is um what is it called it is dream of the red chamber this one's less known in the west um this one is more of a, a romance novel it, it, it's you know it, it's it had an influence on uh romance novels and otome games to this day now, that's probably the least known one but so suikoden is based on a chinese classic um, and uh, you, you can actually see that in, in this trailer. Um, if, if you watch the first gameplay snippet they released, at a glance, I think a lot of viewers might think like, oh, you know, it's just like uh, Western fantasy or whatever. But um, it's a v every character, most of the characters in here are actually very Chinese. Like the, the, the kobold guy, uh, he's the first guy to attack. He jumps off and he's carrying a giant Chinese cleaver. You know, he flies off and attacks this boss. The main character then like dashes off with these uh, the uh, twin hooks. It's a it's a hooked Chinese sword. It's 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 a sword that was uh, popular back in the day in the north of China. And it's imagine a sword with um, like a really sharp guard over your your fingers, over your knuckles, and then it goes up, and then the tip of the sword hooks out. So so not only can you like cut and thrust and jab with it, but you can actually like you know, pull things, you hook things towards you with it. It's a very unusual weapon. Um, and yeah, that's the main character. Uh, and then the the third guy to attack is the magic user. And he, he's got a uh, brush, you know, he's got a Chinese brush and he writes the Chinese character for fire in the air. And then, you know, that 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 portal spams like a bunch of fireballs at the enemy. So so right off the bat, like every single attack they showed is, is actually based on, on a Chinese culture. Um, and then in the background, you could see like the the samurai lady, and then there looks to be maybe like a hand to hand like uh, martial artist uh, lady, uh, and then the the only actual Western character so far is uh, there's a person standing with a sword to the far left that looks more like maybe they they might be from a more Western themed uh, knight kind of kingdom, but not not quite sure. I didn't have a clear look at them, but um, yeah, I, I just I think, actually that's yeah. that's another that's another thing real quick that's very Shrikanen. They they often use western symbology and styles to reference like uh outside kingdoms that are, and they often use it on noble characters that are like supposed to be kind of rich boys <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah, yeah and I, I think um i looked it up like they actually have named some of these characters so like the just to mention before we, we jump back into it like so the the main uh, protagonist is named uh nawa which is again uh four letter four letter name very short uh very, very Shrikanen. Uh, Sane is the name of the the, the European-style Western character that has the, the sword. He is from a noble house of an outside empire, not surprising. Mm. Um, then a, a couple of the other characters, like the, the scholar is uh, Melridge. Uh, and, of course, he is uh, 
a scholar with a paintbrush, uh, you know, very, uh, and also very Shrikanen is, uh, he is a scholar, but he's also a brilliant tactician. Uh, almost all the Shrikanen games always have a, um, a party member that is a brilliant right, okay. tactician. It's, uh, it's Apple in Shrikanen uh, 2, and in 1, I believe it's Gremio. Uh, maybe it's not Gremio, but they, they always have kind of a brilliant tactician with them. And then, of course, the, the beast man, as it were, is Gar. Gar. Um, is really, really, he's also Warrior Clan. Uh, you, you can tell, like, even some of the, the small amount of stuff they, they uh, show that he's a brilliant mil military technician, which is very, like, so, all, like, it's a, all, all the stuff is, like, super, like, Shrikudan having its roots in, in Chinese culture and the way they're expressing the epics is, goes all the way down to, like, how they tell, like, how these, like, each one of these character archetypes exist in the Shrikudan games. Nice, nice. James, can we get your uh, thoughts on the on the character designs? You know, this is something that really excites me about this game. Uh, Kawano Junko uh, really encapsulates uh, the feeling of classic uh, Japanese RPGs, um, and I know that you know people. It's like, oh, well, you know, what does that really mean? Uh, I feel like character design. I mean, it's it's an incredibly difficult thing to do, regardless of whether it's 2020 or 1999. Um, being able to communicate what a character is about is uh, incredibly difficult, and I feel like there is an effortless uh, culmination of experience and knowledge and narratives that they've had to illustrate before that is very much prevalent in these designs. Uh, when you look at these characters, I mean, yeah, you know, you if you see the bio, you're like, okay, but when you just look at the designs by themselves, it, it feels like they communicate uh, these things effortlessly without words, and that the words just complement it as an idea of like, mm -hmm. okay, well, in case you didn't know, this is what this character is about. I mean, just, it, and it seems like it's a simple thing, right? Like, uh, you know, certain color choice, uh, gesture, and, you know, posture of a character, but it's 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 beyond just that, uh, you know. When you look at these characters, you you get a very quick idea of oh, you're a young, uh, somewhat careless meddler child that you know swings and asks questions later. Um, you know, when you're looking at um, Noah, like you get that right away. Um, you know, and then you get the antithesis of that with uh, Sine or Sane. Yeah, Sane. I'm sorry. Um, it's when you're looking at these character designs, it's, you know, obvious that the color direction is obviously something that's thought of just as much as like the gesture. But, uh, I just feel like there is a, a particular feeling that is classic and it's, it's, it's effortless. Like even, uh, Marisa, um, you know, which is definitely a, a more diverse design. It's as if the, the color palettes are specifically chosen to create a sort of sense of debut for this character in comparison right, can, can you give a description of her to the readers because she she's i don't think she's in the trailer no no marisa's not in the trailer she's yeah. a i guess the best way to put it is uh she's like a protector of the forest so she has a much more uh nature or earthy vibe to her uh and you know some of her colors there's a lot of greens uh, some of them are deeply saturated. Some of them are uh, more pastel. But instead of those things being jarring, the, the way that they're positioned with the character 
they compliment themselves and it's not necessarily like a blatantly obvious thing uh it's something that you just genuinely feel with this character and i think she's probably one of the characters that looks less suikoden but actually is so suikoden <laughs> like mm. there, there's something about the way that they approach the not even just her skin tone but like uh just really good choices about like how these colors affect her um she's you know she's a protector of 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 nature she does like cute things but these are things that are it's it's like they're subtle it's like she's very much about you know protecting the forest uh she's she's also seems like she's actually pretty experienced even though she's 16 uh in terms of like being i guess a defender type i don't want to say warrior um but looking at the new designs and seeing that even though they're new and still fitting within like the overall aesthetic of it. Um, there's a lot of confidence with uh, Kawano's choices. Uh, Gar looks incredible uh, in game and in the art itself. I feel like they've found a way to embody what they need to in the in game art, just as much as it would correlate to like um, the base illustrations for the concepts. Uh, there's some characters that are on here that I wish were in the trailer. Like, I feel like one of my favorite characters is probably going to be Mio. She's a, uh, a swordswoman. Uh, there's an effortless confidence that uh, just is evoked with her. And she's not even in a pose that... It, it's a powerful pose because it's, it's obviously, you know, Kenjutsu-inspired. But um, there's, there's definitely a world that this game represents that just showing what they showed in the trailers and just seeing some of the art, it's, it's in, the best way I was describing it to Richmond is that uh, it's a very inviting aesthetic. Um, and it's, um, it's, yeah, like that's the best way I can put it. Like this game just, it lures you in and you want to know more about it. Uh, I want to put a finer point on something that uh, James is talking about with the colors. Um, going back to uh, uh, Marius's design, so something that, that's interesting about uh, Shrikadun characters is, so a lot of character design, and I'd be interested to hear what y'all think about this since you're, you're more artist than I am, but what I've noticed with, with Shrikadun designs is that you know how often character design will use like a single palette of a color to kind of differentiate characters? So they do that here, but what you'll notice with Shrikadun characters is they almost always have accents that use the complement of their color, but then they go farther. They don't make it that simple. Then they, so they usually have a main color, like in this case, she has like a green but then she's also complemented by gold. And then she uses kind of darker accents and usually um, very graphical patterns, very common of Shrikanen, because they usually have a lot of people that are in um, different types of areas. Like it's a very diverse world and a very diverse cast. But then they use the split complements on their accessories. So the accessories have uh, a much more nuanced approach to color theory, but you, you can kind of look at it um, with, with her, you can kind of see she has the green and the, the black with the gold accents, but then her, her like scarf has a lot of like lighter green and gold accenting it. And then there's a split compliment on uh, how the, how the, the actual uh, scarf is shaded. It has like a little bit of purple in it. And you can kind of see it with, um, with even like, if you look at like Sane, he's like a very blue character, but uh, you can see he has a little bit of teal on the shadowing and he uses uh, a little bit of like, gold in it like his hair is gold so it creates like that compliment and then his like collar has a little bit of purple so they use the split compliment so oh, a... i didn't even notice that the purple it's so subtle uh and like i said you can see it with um like i said it's not a perfect formula but i've noticed that 
the way they and you can you can look at like Mel, uh, Meldridge, the uh, the scholar, a very red character, but he's got like a gold bag, and then he has like green boots. So there's like a a complement between his shirt is also like a very light, subtle teal green. So his boots and his shirt, and underneath his red jacket, are like complement this kind of maroon red. But then yeah. they they slap this gold bag on him. Uh, and his brush also pulls up a little bit of that brown. And, of course, the, the underside of his coat isn't all red. It's got a little bit of that brown, too. So I, I feel like there's some, like, I, insane magic color theory going on that is above my pay grade, if you yeah, will. Yeah, oh, oh, that's the highest compliment. Because Sean is an excellent artist, uh, excellent designer, uh, very deep understanding of color theory. You, you've put that to great use in your career. But um, I got to say, props to the, uh, what, what is that guy's name, Melridge? The, the 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 scholar the green and the red and yeah, the white yeah. to, to pull that off without evoking christmas is like amazing right yeah that is very takes... skillful yeah uh, actually you can see the reverse of it on gar he has a lot of green and red in his design but it's very subtle but the uh, the sorry the, the thing i'll add before I'll, I'll jump in is that um i remember when i took color theory especially at scad where we all went to school like i remember when i was learning about split complements and, and like they make you do a lot of these, and I'm sure y'all remember, you gotta do like a gouache project, which is a material that I hate working with. And they always make you do all the classic color theory harmonies. And in practicality, they're very hard to apply. Um, but this is the kind of thing where you look at it and you start seeing where it comes in. So what they're doing, the reason like the compliments, so, so usually a compliment of colors, and y'all can correct me, because again, I think y'all are both better artists than me. Oh. A compliment usually makes the the color that it's that it, it's basically it's a it's opposite on the color wheel, so it creates a vibrancy to it. But then a split complement is opposite on the color wheel, but it moves upward, so it's more of an adjacent color. Um, so you, you have an uh, opposite on the color wheel, and then usually up one or two colors in either direction, and that's where you see this constant green and red will usually have a gold accent because that's the split complement of of green and of green and red. But the way they do it, like I said, the way they apply this is it's not like when you do the stupid gouache project where they're like, yes, do a monochromatic harmony. Yes, create a complementary harmony. Like you end up creating these garish projects that you don't want to ever show anybody. This is to me an application of where they really understood how to take those harmonies and apply them in reality. Yeah. No, it's very true, though. Um, the, the, the color choice here, not even just in Meldridge, but I mean, this, this is something that is uh, echoed in multiple character designs uh, that I've seen so far. I mean, you know, there's probably more that are being made or just not being shown right now, but it, there's a particular type of confidence that is shown here that I feel like uh, is also represented in the game too. So it's not just like a experience you get with an illustration. It's not just an experience that you get when you're looking at the character art. Uh, it's There's a synergy with what you're seeing like in game that is also represented beautifully. Cause sometimes that doesn't always translate very well. Uh, I'm, I mean, I, I'm assuming that Suikoden is one of those games where that synergy has always been there, but it is something that I appreciate even within a 21 second trailer <laughs> where yeah. you can see the, the, the love in the illustrations is just as equal as the implementation for the models or not models, but the, the sprites in the game. Yeah, let's uh, let, let's talk about those sprites some more, because um, and, and and then let's come back to the characters. But <laughs> the sprites. And, uh, was, yeah, I, I wanted to mention, like, since we're probably going to weave it in, they also released a number of screenshots of the game, still screenshots that yeah. we'll probably start talking about because they contain a lot of other juiciness. So yes, go on, go on, Richmond. 
Um, I, I just wanted to talk about that that gameplay clip just a little bit more. Um, you can see the sprites are such a good representation of the uh, illustrations, you know, the 2D uh, illustrations. And I think, um, again, like, this isn't nostalgia. They're really playing to the strength of, of sprites. Um, if they had tried to translate this to 3D, like, just, you know, something probably would have been lost in, in that transition, unless they just did an insane Guilty Gear level treatment, but th that would be kind of almost impossible for like over 100 characters, right? So yeah. I think the sprites were just a smart choice. Um, and then something else that I, I feel like they're, they're really, like, really brilliant for, for really uh, uh, pulling off is um, the sprites actually work really well with the 3D camera angle. Because uh, a lot of times I, I, I play, um, you know, some, some modern 3D games. Uh, like, sometimes I play the Final Fantasy, like, Final Fantasy VII remake, and it's, like, a little bit overwhelming. I, I can't keep track of, like, everything that's going on, right? There's, it's beautiful. It's, it's visually balanced, but uh, it's so much information. But when, when you watch this trailer, th that's the thing about sprites. They're always very clear. Like, it's really easy to keep track of. Like, when it starts off, like, that kobold dude, the beast man, just, like, rockets off at the boss... And he's actually even out of focus when he hits. His entire attack is out of focus, and yet you 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 read it perfectly well. You see, you know, oh, it was like this big critical slash. You see how much damage it did, and then it effortlessly transitions to the next character, like you know, already starting their their attack, which is you know how the series has traditionally played out, right? Like you you issue all of your commands and then everybody acts at, at once. It's not they like all, you they go all like um, Yeah, they, they all have attack timers and stuff. So you have so you have speed and stuff like that. So yeah, it is very classic Shrieken in as well for them yeah. to all attack at different intervals during the battle. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I think what's what's interesting and I guess this goes back to you know the foundation here being this amazing camera is that the communication of movement like there's no illusion break like what i mean by that is like what richmond's kind of like pointing to is that you know when you see something like this or you see something that's made in a similar vein uh you know sometimes you can see where oh, okay like the model is getting a little jittery and it's like there's not enough frames here for it to smoothly transition properly or the timing on it is a bit off so you can kind of see that like oh, okay this is it's almost like looking at like a Photoshop file where you're like, okay, this is on this layer, this is on this layer. Uh, in this game, from what we're seeing, everything is so seamless and everything looks like it belongs there. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the lighting on the characters only just makes it that much better that it makes them more inclusive. But it's like the fact that these are 2.5D and the camera is moving, it's a three-dimensional camera and the illusion's not lost. I mean, yeah, we're looking at 21 seconds. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, something's going to be potentially not as perfect somewhere else in the game. But I think in terms of a collective experience, if this is what we're getting in a short trailer like this, this type of seamlessness is going to be throughout the game. Even the particle effects. Like, nothing yeah. in here looks, uh, you know, like it's separate. Like, all of this is believable and livable. Like, th these are all living, breathing uh, assets, so to speak. You know, like it's like everything is just it, the, the synergy here is just fantastic. Like when when he's doing the fire sign, like when I'm looking at that the, the lighting that affects that sprite, it's just like 
you believe that that's that, that that's a, a person like you believe that these are people you believe everything you're seeing um and for that collective amount of work to effectively communicate that on multiple levels you got characters you've got particle effects you've got backgrounds you've got font choices for you know your stats um all of these things are working together with a camera that is just flawless like because even the camera panning to the from the left to the right to show you and then moving in and then upward like all or back and then upward um all of this is just done in such a way that is like it's i don't think i've seen this type of smoothness before it's it's like so i'm at a point where i can tell you i've watched this trailer like at least 30 to 50 times and (laughs) it blows me away every single time when i'm looking at it I also I want to call attention to something that makes that 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 livability. We talked about the timing. So like uh, in the streaking and battle systems, it's really like it's meant more of a strategy thing. But something that's like really crazy the more that you watch this one, it, I mentioned it a little bit when I was talking about uh, how the the character Mio is clearly like uh, charging an attack with the way that she's holding her her uh, katana. But you can also see it. So when guard like guard of the beast man jumps back and he like you can see first of all he activates his attack and it knocks rocks away from him, which is also cool yeah. environmental effects. But you can actually see the scholar start charging uh, his spell attack. You can see uh, his paintbrush go up and start charging. So when the camera pans over to the other character, uh, you're 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 not paying attention to it. So you can see almost all of the characters begin their charge animations, um, and some of them are obviously not attacking yet. But I, I I noticed this kind of thing where the way they do it makes it feel so real and livable because like the flow of battle everything is happening on realistic timers and everyone is telegraphing what they're actually going to do they don't just go from an idle to an attack animation and the camera move makes it more frantic so you don't quite notice it but it really lands when they do it i i think it's really crucial that they overlap actions like like what you said uh, as soon as the beast man jumps off does his attack you see the magic user starting to to cast but you you don't need to see that you just need to like register it unconsciously and feel it like it's it's really smooth it's so smooth i didn't think i would be making like a steely man reference to like the meticulousness of (laughs) the timing here but this is this is like the steely dan of like 20 second trailers like this is (laughs) like because i I mean because this is something that i was I, i peeped but it's like seeing how this actually works so effectively that you're just like you're you're subtly absorbing and digesting this information like even if you're not like seeing it right away like all of these things just make you feel like no this this is not just a bunch of a bunch of assets being activated this there's a particular care uh placed here that this timing makes you feel like you're involved it's a very it's a it's a visceral feeling um and, and the camera supports it in a way that it, you can't help but be excited about it. Yeah. Uh, there's also, uh, and I, Richmond, I'd be interested to hear about, like, since you're, you're, you've always done really good 3D environments back when we worked on it, but there's also a thing they're doing here, unlike in the previous recording games, where um, the character attacks and the lighting is also affecting the environment. You can see it reflecting. So, like, in the trailer, there's, like, they're fighting, like, a Kraken-like thing, and there's, like, water with barrels, and there's, like, a little bit of a dock thing. But you can actually see both from the effects of the animation as well as the effect of the spellcaster, you can actually see it casting light on the yeah. characters and on the environment, which is something that Shrieking Games have not done in the past. Yeah, everything has lighting on it. And it's um, 
it's there for clarity. You know, it's it's not there just to be like a simulation of reality, and it's not distracting. Like it it, it focuses you on the action. It's here's how good this game looks. Um, it's sprite based, right? I only just now noticed how incredibly realistic that water looks. There's like this full 3D volumetric water with like crazy physics and like, you know, um, glistening light going on. And it's like, I didn't even notice that because the sprites were so awesome. And that, that's exactly how it should be. Like, it, it shouldn't be like, oh my God, why why is this water so real? Uh, well, the know? water also kicks up when they attack the main enemy yeah, too. Like yeah. it reacts to their, their, their movement. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it feels natural. Uh, just, my goodness, the sense of space is really good. Like, I, I, I'm so impressed by how well you can feel that space and the, the distance there. It's it's really impressive. Like, I, I, I recommend watching this in slow motion. <laughs> I, I've been watching it over and over at, like, quarter speed. <laughs> it's it's, it's really not a bad idea, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it... it it's only 21 seconds, but so much is happening in it that you can't help but want to just absorb it over and over again. Yeah. And to think that there's a whole game that's coming in 2022 that has this visual sensibility, like I'm, I'm, I'm already, I'm already down for it, honestly. Um, yeah. It, it just seeing because, because, because the other thing too is like. You know, I didn't even notice how the the particle effects were actually affecting the water too. Like everything here is incredibly livable and breathable. Like, yeah, I'm already excited for an art book for this. Like, I need well, need well, that. In my I, I'm kind of wondering how like how they did some of the sprite stuff because if you watch, especially the especially the spellcaster, like that's that's the the nostalgia buttons, but also the craft in like, you can see there's like, so when he cast for anyone that hasn't seen it, although you should go watch it. Basically, once he does um, the painting and casting, a bunch of fireballs come up and they spin around him and they cast moving light across the sprite, but in a way yeah. that is super believable, despite the fact that it's clearly a 2D sprite. Yeah, um, you, can do, you can do normals maps on sprites nowadays. There, there, there's programs for automating it, which you know works like reasonably well. But if you do it by hand, you can get like insanely good results. And I, I think that's what they're doing here. I think they're very carefully uh, painting the normals maps on 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 each frame, because it, it looks really natural. I'm, I'm not usually a big fan of uh, real time lighting on on 2D. I think it can be a little bit distracting. And e even for this game, I hope there's a way to like kind of turn tone down the effects too just because the the base sprite art is so nice i just want to be able to see it super clearly too but um they're, they're using this modern tech like really well and do you notice like there's a motion blur on his arm it's it's only on his arm as he's moving it it's not on the whole sprite <laughs> like they're layering stuff really naturalistically and it, what's really so what's cool. really cool about that what you're talking about there is that like we're talking about him as a spellcaster but he he has a paintbrush and he is painting this spell as it's firing these fireballs. It's super thematically cool. Oh, and the FX are, are, are very nice. They're very uh, classic um, PS on one era style tricks with a lot of the, uh, the, the effects. And then, and then they use modern particle systems to you know, add some more flair to it. But 
I think that's why it feels so good. And again, like not nostalgia. It's just that when when you use these old tricks, it's very curated. It's very controlled. Like the you know the artist knows exactly what's happening frame to frame, and it just. I think that's why this game has that cozy feeling. Like everything, everything comes together really, really well. Yeah, it's another example of technology serving art. You know, yeah. I mean, you've uh, this collective of talent that has been doing this stuff for years, yeah. and there's a point where having that type of understanding, you can't help but create something like this where it's not necessarily that oh, we need to rely on the new new tech because new tech. It's no, we know that it serves a specific purpose. And when you have people who understand that and are all working toward this goal as passionately as possible, this is the result. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to read a quote from uh, Yoshitaka Murayama, the, the uh, founder of the new uh, Rabbit and Bear Studios. Uh, he said the reason they got together, he said, the first thing we decided when our members came together was it's about time we made a really interesting game that we ourselves want to make. And I, I think you definitely feel that. That's, that's on full display there. I mean, that, that embodies everything that we've seen in that trailer. I mean, it's not to say that other people don't do that, but when you're, oh, yeah. you're making you. Uh, make a statement that is concise and effective, and then to see 21 seconds of your and, and for it to hit so strongly, um, you know, those are those are things that mean a lot. And again, it's 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 it, nothing to shake a candle at here. Like it, it's you know, you hear that statement and you see that trailer or teaser rather, because it is truly what a real teaser should be. We've yeah. all forgotten over the past like 15 years what that should be. Um, you know, to, to see something like that, it you can't help but respect it. Like yeah. it's just like it, like I like I was saying before, there's something very inviting about just the culmination of everything that we've seen so far, and that's like a just a snippet. Like it's a whole game. Like there's a whole game to be to get excited for. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Sean, do you do you want to talk about some of the screenshots that they've uh, unlocked? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we can we can definitely move on to. So one thing I will say for anyone listening, and uh, as you encourage other people to definitely uh, back this game and watch it, is that the screenshots of this battle scene that we're talking about don't do it justice. You need to see this game in motion. Um, I, and so if anyone's just like, oh, I'm going to look at the screenshots. The screenshots in and of themselves, I don't think, do a very good job for the battle. Like, um, yeah. So as we get oh, to yeah. talking, there's a couple other screens. So what, basically what they released was, uh, there's clearly this is thing called the Seaside Cavern. They released some concept art of the environment, but the battle is clearly taking, is a boss battle probably, taking place in that environment. But they also released um, some screenshots of what looks like a town called uh, the Water, the Waterstead of Kinja. So uh, that's, I think, what we're going to pivot to talk to talk okay. about next. But and uh, where those, should people go to look at these screens? Where do you recommend? Uh, you know, they're not they're, they're not easy. I found a couple articles. We might just need to post some links later, but I think you can okay. just search for it. And they come up. Is it the Gamatsu uh, one? Is that the, the one? The Gamatsu is a good article. It's a really good one. Yeah. So we'll post links to that. Okay. Uh, uh, so so actually, real quick before we go, because this is going to be a lot of. I think we're going to talk a lot about the environment here. Um, I wanted to go back to the character design really quickly, only because like I wanted to point out a couple things before we move away from talking about the characters. Um, so uh, I've, I've mentioned this to 
Richmond James at length, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the protagonists uh, real quick. And also because we'll, we'll talk about him, uh, like how he appears in the other screenshots as well. But like I said, he's a super, super sweet and protagonist. And one thing that, and I'm definitely going to post the follow-up tweet on this, is uh, he even, like, all sweet protagonists look kind of the same. Like, uh, Tyr, Rio, and now Nawa, they have kind of this, like, red cloak that is fastened by a belt. And I, I would imagine that there's more to why that is there. But they're usually, like, a teenager, um, 17, 18 years old. They're usually from a remote village where nothing's going on, which is true of Nala as well. He's from a remote village, <laughs> uh, 17 years old. Uh, uses we talked about how he, they always use a very uncommon weapon. Um, generally, a kind of a, again they even say this in here: leap before you look type. Like they're just ready to jump into anything. Um, so, like to, to me, I, the reason I wanted to talk about this before we also talk about the environment because I think it's there is the reason I think the protagonist is done this way in all the Street Coding games is because. Uh, it's meant to be kind of the spirit of the game. It's a very pure character. The the protagonist usually doesn't have any doesn't have like major flaws. And it's not just that you can project yourself on the character. It's um, it's more because like they kind of represent a a purity uh, in a in generally a very embroiled political geopolitical conflict. Shrikoden games are not about saving the world in the classical sense. Um, they're a and uh, we'll, we'll talk about a bit more about the, the, how the story, it isn't just about bringing together 108 stars of destiny or bringing together all these people. It's usually outlaws and outcasts. It's um, in, in the Shrikun games, what you often are doing is you you usually lose very poor, very badly at the beginning of the game. Like in, in Shrikun 2, uh, you almost get killed. And then the, the armies and the characters that you ally yourselves with, they get badly defeated. And then it's on you, this, this pure protagonist that like, is from a remote place, is super young, but it, like, inspires everybody, has this uncommon weapon, so, like, that way, it's kind of like the Shepard thing in Mass Effect, where when people are referring to the character, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, they use this twin fang, it's crazy, and, like, they're so inspiring, and it's all done that way to kind of uh, give you that that kind of light that moves through the game, um, and the I think there's a lot to the way that's designed, I think that there's not a whole lot of characters that use this kind of... Uh, accented red color uh but it's i think it's all uh, there's a lot there in terms of the adventurousness of it like again pure from remote village doesn't know much about the world they're not part of these giant political conflicts they're not out to save the world and i don't know i feel like um it's again what i thought a lot about this the reason i wanted to talk about as we talk about the environments is the reason they do this is because they put you into these larger-than-life things from this character. They put you in giant metropolises, cities that have amazing, bustling situations, like people that have a very different set of... Like, like in Shrikoden 2, they put you in this, like, bustling capital of Muse, and then you're fighting the Kingdom of Highlands. Like, all these things are meant to be so much larger than the protagonist that you're playing, and yet they have such a positive impact on the world around them, and they bring together what are effectively outcasts and outlaws and criminals to save the conflict. So I think there's a whole theme of purity and uh, not getting too caught up in the hustle of life. Um, and I don't know, I feel like that's kind of a resonant message right now as well. So I don't know, I wanted to provide all of that context yeah. around when you're looking at this main character. Cause I think a lot of people have told me that they think they're very boring and I'm like, no, <laughs> this is such a carefully crafted protagonist. So yeah. anyway, now we can at least if yeah. y'all want to come. Oh, actually, now I, this, I, I just want to contextualize the, the world. 
<laughs> so I, I, I want to add to that analysis of the main character. Um, I, I, I think looking at all three of them, um, there's sort of this effect between the, uh, like you said, they all consistently have that that draping uh, cloth at their hips. And they also also have like pole-shaped weapons, right? The 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 first game you use like a bow staff. Second game, uh, tanfas. They're not cutting weapons. The third game, he's using hook swords, but they're 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 padded at, at at the length of the blade for the most part. So again, it's like spherical. I think together it, it kind of gives this idea of uh, the main character being like a living flag, like flying around. I, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it visually kind of recalls that. But yeah, yeah I, def I, I definitely think that, um, especially in the Street Code in one and two games where you effectively become the leader of a country and you become like the leader of an army. I actually, now that you mention it, that's actually super cool. I think it is meant to be flag-like. That's, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, anyway, so, so like I said, to me, that, that a lot of that contextualizes the world that Suikin is based in. Like it's um, the, and I, I don't, like we can talk about the screenshots, but there's also some other influences that I think we're going to talk about that really, really put a lot of texture as to how the creators think about the world they created. Let's get into that first. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> why not? Um, so, I think everything you said about, uh, uh, you know, the hero uh, coming from sort of a humble background and then amassing an army of uh, outcasts, uh, that's very true to the source of uh, the water margin. Um, you know, it's called the 108 Outlaws of the Marsh. It was about people on the fringes of society uh, coming together and then forming a group and then forming like a base, like a, a fortress. And then you know, they, they basically just start righting the wrongs of society um, as outlaws. Uh, and then I, I, I th you know, I think of eventually they're, 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 the government recognizes them and they're integrated into society. But, but it's very much about, you know, uh, pe people on the margins of society um, coming together, you know, to fight uh, corruption. You know, the, the people who actually suffer the consequences of, of a terrible bureaucracy, like fighting back. Um, and, and of course, that's a very uh, uh, timely message, I, I think, for, for all times, really, but especially right now. To let everyone know as well, uh, so when you talk about the coding games, the hundred they call them the hundred eight stars of destiny in the game. So to clarify, you in the game, these aren't just there aren't just a lot of characters. Like you as the protagonist, you go on this journey, and eventually you do establish a base, and then you literally go out and through your charm and charisma and work and helping people, you basically manually recruit all 108 of these characters. Like, some of them come to you through the course of the story, but these aren't just characters thrown in as backgrounds. Like, you have to, you have a story with each one of them. They have faces and personalities, and they have uh, motivations. And generally speaking, as you recruit these people, they build your base up. Some of them add shops. Some of them bring military. Uh, some of them just add part, parts to your base. So your, your base literally visually grows. Uh, I have, I'm actually, um, as Richmond knows, I've, been wanting to, I've actually been working on an article talking about the headquarters system in games. And this is one of the first really, like Metal Gear does it. Uh, Shokoden was one of the first ones that really did this well. And it's such a good way of grounding you in the world. Because like when we talk about games and we talk about your choices mattering, obviously in this case, the, 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 the stories are all pre-created, but you don't have to recruit all 108 stars to win, but it's how you get the good ending. It's how you unlock the most powerful spells. It's, um, it, it's also it's such a good combination. Uh, it's such a good way to look at like 
they didn't just look at this story and be like, oh, 108 characters based, whatever. They really looked at what this story is meant to tell about society and about um, other, like, about the kind of people and how you interact with them. That I feel like there's 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 such a like a deep respect for this the the subject yeah. material, um, and the inspirations. Yeah, they, this was not like. They, they didn't just make a checklist of archetypes. They actually wrote 108 unique characters. Yeah. Like, they, they're, they're all interesting. They're all different. I, I, I just remembered, Suikoden 2 has the only character I've ever seen named Richmond. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he was the uh, private investigator guy. Yeah, yeah, he's like yeah. a scrappy private investigator. You actually use him, uh, once you recruit him, you actually use him to investigate other characters, and he helps give you hints as to how to recruit them. Because, yeah. like, it's not... With the, another thing about this game is that all 108 stars, it's not very clear how to recruit them. Some of them have personal side quests. Some of them have things you have to get. Some of them have timing missions. There's actually two stars. Uh, if you look up the the Clive and Eliza quest in Trucoden 2, it's actually a universally timed quest throughout the game. You have to play the game at a certain speed, and there's a, a story that they have that plays out in real time in, in the game clock. And you can totally... If you miss the events, you don't recruit them. So uh, there's whole guides on how to how to hit the quest exactly as you need it, how to witness all the events in their timeline. So uh, they have some really really insane stuff going on in in the Shrikoden games in terms of like storytelling. Wow, wow, that's wild! <laughs> a real time story going on in a game in an RPG back in the PS1 era. I I didn't know about that one. If it's time, yeah. So, so just to clarify, it's, uh, just as everyone knows, like, what I mean by real-time within the game world is it, it's not like once you start the game, you have a real-time clock. It's oh, no. the amount of hours you play the game. Like, So, like yeah. for instance, certain things happen like three hours into the game or five hours into the game or whatever, and you have to be in certain spots. But it's still very important because like you obviously can go off on site. Like, there's so many things to do yeah. that if you don't weave it in exactly... And it, it's not on the beaten path. Like You have to go out of your way to experience this quest. Um, so, anyway... Yeah. Well, and, and, and all this happens organically as you play, right? Like you, you don't actually have to sit there with an FAQ. It's just like there's so many interesting things that can happen depending on how you play the game. Well, what I like about the character of Richmond, actually, is this is really before guides and things existed. And they yeah. provided a mechanism in the game for you to learn how to find characters. It wasn't just that you had to stumble on them, although that is a way you can do it. They provided multiple educational mechanisms. People say things, and, and they give you hints to really help you. And Richmond is one of those characters in the game where, uh, actually very true to the real Richmond, he knows a ridiculous amount of things for, and things that you probably shouldn't know, or you have no idea how he knows them. He just knows everybody and everything. So he's the character that is effectively there to be like, hey, are you having trouble finding certain characters? Are you, are you having trouble getting the hints? Because you can actually hire him and he goes out and he brings you multiple hints or it gives you backstory of characters. So he both tells you backstory of characters. Um, and there's some characters that you can get him to investigate, air quotes, that are not recruitable. Or they, you've already recruited them and he'll find out their secrets or he'll tell you something about their, their backstory. Sometimes they'll explain their clothing. So when we talk about these characters are super well fleshed out and carefully written, they have so much content that like I, I think it actually takes you... If you were to like hire the Richmond character in this case, because he's saying Richmond, I don't want to confuse you. If you were to hire him to do all of the investigations, I think it takes you like 14 hours or something. Like, uh, there is a ton of content just written for his character's investigations that flesh out. Like, and it's even some of the stupid stuff. It's everything from a deep tragedy that someone experienced to like, hey, 
uh, they really like this kind of Chinese porridge. You should maybe give it to them. All the way to, um, yeah. By the way, I was I was I was uh, talking to him, and he really didn't like when I talked about this type of green tea. Like it's like they're all they're all over the place, but it's like very natural. Like it's a very uh, it's a very fun character. Yeah, but it's a very kind of fun gameplay mechanism as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a really brilliant way to 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 make you know uh, something that's usually like a pain point in games right like like uh, teaching people providing hints right like essentially being like a tutorial like they they made it into a really interesting character so i guess before we talk about the, the screenshots we're still talking about the world uh, i mentioned this before but this is a part where i don't know as much about but i'm aware that uh maruyama was very heavily influenced by the eternal champion books uh, and I've, I felt like uh, it's something we should talk about because like, he mentions it a lot whenever he's interviewed about it, but uh, I'm not as well-versed as to where the influence comes from, Actually, where the influence is placed. Um, I'm, I'm not totally uh, familiar with them, um, but I, I do know uh, they're, they're by Michael Moorcock. Uh, they were published in the 70s. Um, and then uh, I, when, when we were initially talking, you, you mentioned Frank Frazetta. Uh, Frazetta did um, the covers in America, and they're, they're really beautiful covers, really cool art. Uh, you know, it looks like it could be from a video game today. And, and yeah, uh, hopefully if you're listening, you know, Frank Frazetta is like one of the greatest artists of all time. Certainly one of the greatest fantasy artists. Uh, influenced everyone all over the world. Uh, I would say he's at least as influential in Japan as he was in in America, just setting, you know, the style and the aesthetic of uh, I, fantasy. I I recently learned due to Richmond that he has his own museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think apparently there's like two of them actually. Yeah. Oh wow! Really? I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a Frazetta museum. Uh, his daughters run an account on Twitter called um, I want to say it's like the Frazetta Girls or something. Just hop on Twitter, Google Frazetta Girls, and uh, yeah, they're they're always posting about their their dad or granddad, depending on who's who's uh, sharing the stuff. Um, right. Okay. So Frazetta did these really awesome covers for Eternal Champion, like really really cool looking, uh, you know, warriors and stuff. Um, and then in Japan, actually, Yoshitaka Amano did the covers for them. Um, and then he, he so uh, the, frizz, uh, the, the the writer of Eternal Champion, uh, Michael Moorcock, he's actually best known for uh, Elric. The Elric saga is a long series of uh, fantasy novels about a, a sorcerer named Elric. Um, he's sort of the magical uh, equivalent of Conan, right? Conan is this warrior. He just grits everything out. Like uh, Elric is this really refined, uh, really intellectual dude. And... Uh, Elric series, um, uh, yeah. So Yoshitaka Amano did the the covers for that, and th those were they're beautiful covers. You you got to look them up. Uh, Michael Moorcock uh, said those were his favorite out of all the anyone who ever illustrated his work. He said Amano nailed uh, the characters. It was what he had in his mind. And uh, there's even um, you can look up uh, look up Amano Elric. Uh, and uh, Takeya statue, Takeyuki Takeya, who's my favorite sculptor, he sculpted a uh, one of Amano's illustrations of Elric, and it's it's beautiful, and it's so beautiful that Michael Moorcock, who uh, who became very wealthy from his books in the 70s, they were a big hit. He collects Art Nouveau, so <laughs> this guy's like a hardcore collector of like Art Nouveau art, like that you see in art history books. He said uh, cool. the. Takeya statue was the equal of anything from Art Nouveau. That's how much he loved it. Um, 
but yeah. <laughs> uh, so so Michael Moorcock, uh, really influential writer in the 70s. Um, you don't hear about him as much today. You know, people uh, credit Tolkien for for just about everything, but uh, he's one of the big post. Uh, Tolkien guys that that's worth looking into. I don't know as much about Eternal Champion, but um, I I do know from a quick glance at the Wikipedia that it's um it's an isekai. <laughs> it's it's about a man named John Dacker who uh, is transported to a fantasy world where he must become a hero. <laughs> so this is <laughs> one wow. thousand percent an isekai. <laughs> And to Suikoden's credit, it's not an isekai. So they, they took they took everything else from it. They they took the fantasy influence, but not that part. Right. The, the, <laughs> the idea of being transported though in a, into a world and becoming a hero is very much in Suikoden, though, in terms of yes. the coming yeah. from the beginnings, being embroiled in a conflict that you're not part of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they understood that part as um, you know the 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 player themselves right when you play a video game you are essentially entering into an isekai like you, you're transporting yourself into this world and you, you know i i think that's very much reflected in the actual games yep. um yeah so that's the influence there and then um i i think they also mentioned that uh, uh several comics uh, were a big influence notably uh hokuto no ken uh, fist of the north star and also captain tsubasa and i know i know james has some 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 opinions on on Hokuto no Ken, right? I mean, it's 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 basically one of the best manga that was ever produced, and is still influential to this day. Uh, not even like necessarily just like like a visual thing, but just the embodiment of what makes characters uh, actually interesting. Um, yeah. What what makes you want to side along with them, you know, with the controller in your hand? Uh, I mean, Fist of North Star was something that you read, but you know, I think a lot of you know the 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 narratives that are cemented within the series, you know, these are things that show up in various media, especially games. And I think that uh, you know, Sui Koden and you know, Ayudin, uh definitely have that reflected in what characters stand for. Uh, and in some cases, what they don't stand for. Mm. Uh, and I mean, this is, you know, I'm only seeing this from, you know, the, the basis of like the trailer that I saw and the limited news that, you know, I've received. But, you know, these are things that definitely are mirrored within these characters. I mean, I see, uh, you know, Kenshiro in, 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 in Noah, you know, I see like you, those things are, are there. Um, and I mean, these, the people that worked on this stuff, I mean, they grew up with Fist of the North Star. They grew up with Captain, Captain Tsubasa. Um, you know, these are things that are going to, like, trickle in uh, in a way that's sincere. And, you know, if you know your stuff, yeah, you're going you're gonna to point it out. But it still comes off as, like, a, an effortless design of a character. Yeah. Yeah, very uh, classical, uh, you know, very iconic characters. And, and Hokuto no Ken itself is is very much inspired by uh, Chinese culture, uh, Chinese yeah. literature. Um, you know, as a, a Western fan, you might think it's it's very Japanese, but it's it's incredibly Chinese. It's I don't. It doesn't even take place in Japan. Like it, they don't say it, but no. it it, it kind of seems to indicate it might be China because like they visit a Japan-like setting. Uh, in in you know as as a, like an offshoot of their adventure away from the mainland, but uh, yeah, it's 
Okay, sorry. We we could spend hours. We could spend days talking about Hokuto no Ken. Uh, Sean, <laughs> I know that's you, part of, you, you're, you're part familiar of why, like, with both. Yeah. That's, that's part of why like I kind of kept it like, all right, let me yeah. not <laughs> go too far. Yeah. Um, Sean, do you do you want to comment on like um, how do you see uh, Fist of the North Star's influence on uh, the Shikoden games? That is harder to tell, and, I, and I'll admit I'm not I'm not as familiar as like James's, uh, which is why I'm glad he's here with with uh, Fist of the North Star. Um, I think you're you're right on though. The the, um, the the kind of the Chinese epic influence is there because uh, one thing if you look into, and uh, we'll certainly be linking this on Twitter, the story of the development of this game, a lot of it has to do with uh, Murayama was also, when, we, when he was pitching games to Konami's management, um, he kind of like, you know, again, very, uh, you know, a Japanese game developer, uh, he was generally struggling with getting to a, a theme or an approach that he thought would resonate with gamers that he was excited about. And also that they would want to fund. So the the idea to focus an adventure on a Chinese epic and take like just dive deep into the Chinese influence is always something that seems like Mariyama was really personally engaged with, but it was very difficult for him to to sell that idea um, to Konami's management. And I think um, what that is that is where I think the influence of Fist of the North Star is huge. Is I think you're totally right. I think he looked at it. Something that on its face seems very Japanese is in fact very influenced by Chinese culture and Chinese epics. And I think that that, that would be my uh, okay. guess with, yeah. without knowing as much about, um, about Fist of the North Star to be able to really apply an analysis lens to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sort of as a, as a uh, to, to hook it back even deeper into the, the, the Chinese classic. Um, which uh, Suikoden is very well known in Japan too. Um, uh, it, it was published in Japan as early as 1773, so like it's people there know what that is. But um, definitely like Fist of the North Star, much more contemporary, uh, much easier frame of reference for for uh, game development. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there is also a through line, which I'm sure we can talk and it's about. I mean, like. Uh, you know the the idea of like defending the innocent and taking down uh, <laughs> taking down people that are doing society wrong. I mean, oh. I think that's definitely a theme. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a huge influence. Is the the yeah. bad guys are are vile. <laughs> They're terrible people. <laughs> yeah. They're awful. Like you, you're like, oh my god, somebody <laughs> needs to stop this guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Like like honestly, yeah. the now that I think about it, if you look at and uh, if you look up the the antagonist from. Shikoden 2, Luca Blight, one of the most deeply evil antagonists I've ever seen. <laughs> like, like y'all, like seriously, if you're listening to this, like, look up not like look up the art of Luca Blight. Look, like, there's an entire mission. Like, it takes you like there's an entire like ruse and thing in the game where it takes an entire army and it takes you three versions of the battle to just wound him. Like yeah. he is such a cartoonishly evil uh, antagonist, and he's not even the, the main antagonist. Like he's not the full antagonist of the game. He d he dies about halfway through. But now that I think about it, even like the way that his hair looks and how insane he is, and how he just like murders people. Like he literally makes one character oink around like a pig before killing them, and you're just like, oh my god, I have to kill this person. Like he's such a like. I actually now that I'm thinking about it, I, I think that may have been, may have come a little bit from the Fist of the North Star approach. Now that you mentioned it, it's like, it's like sprinkles of yeah, 
Yeah. Like there's there's sprinkles of Jaggy in this character. You can even look at how it, how his uh, shoulder pads and his armor are, because no other character has has armor like him in the game. Like his shoulder pads are cartoonishly large, and it actually reminds me a lot of the build of a Fist of the North Star character. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely got some sprinkles of different uh, Fist of the North Star characters. Um, it's like you know, a dash of Jaggy, a little bit of Rao, um, like bit of Souther, right? In Souther, yeah. For sure. Y- y'all should y'all should look up. There is a shot of Luca Blight in the opening cinematic. It's like more of the intro cinematic, where like he's like uh, it's dark outside and there's like fire in the background and he's kind of hunched over with his sword. And then right before the camera pans off, he 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 turns to the camera and he's maniacally laughing. Like if y'all can't look up that, like look up like Luca Blight laughing, and I think you'll see a lot of Fist of the North Star kind of influence there in terms of the way they depict him. Um, so anyway, yeah. Um, I, on the flip side of that coin, uh, Hokuto no Ken's also known for worthy rivals, like very respectable uh, enemies. You know that that in another life you could have been friends with. Right, so. That that's very much the story of Rio and Joey and uh, in uh, and Like you know, they place literally. You start off as it's your best friend, and you both become the respective leaders of armies at the end of the uh, at the game. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's so, interesting, yeah. So yeah. yeah, we're sussing it out. I think there is a lot of <laughs> subtle influence there. Yeah. Are Are you guys familiar with Captain Tsubasa at all? It's a uh, soccer manga, right? Soccer, right? Yeah, the soccer manga. So, um, you know, I, soccer football is not not as huge in in America, but uh, the in literally the rest of the world, it's the most popular sport, and um, th- this was the soccer manga. And uh, so, you know, it wasn't just huge in Japan and Asia. Um, it actually aired in, all over Europe and the, the Middle East um, early on, like I, I think maybe as early as the late 70s. And um, it's so popular that it, it, it's actually inspired uh, countless people to go into in to pick up the sport, including some really, really famous players like uh, uh, Zidane and uh, Neymar are two of the, you know, top top super famous players they they were inspired to go into the sport because of captain tsubasa um and the the appeal of captain tsubasa is uh, it it sounds a lot like suikoden it's about you know this dude that that uh, it, it starts off humble right like they they're they're you know they're a bunch of nobodies and then they rally around their leader and he keeps inspiring them to like greater uh, and greater victories um so you know it, it's always about the underdog uh, uh snatching victory you know, at the last minute, oh, like it's got a lot cool. of momentum to it. I just, I just wanted to mention a story that I'm aware of is uh, so in in Shikoden two, Mariyama had all the the staff actually pitch him character stories. That's how they came up with the 108 stars. Mm-hmm. And there's a story about one of the artists kept pitching him on a uh, a character that was basically based off his favorite soccer mascot. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I don't actually know if the character ever made it into the game, but it was like one of those ones where he just wouldn't let it go. He yeah. he kept coming up with different variations uh, to basically get his favorite soccer team into the game. <laughs> nice. Gotta gotta admire that tenacity. Yeah, that's awesome. I you know I would say the story of uh, Moriyama himself. Uh, I, I I think his actual story at Konami um, figures into the themes of the game really well too, because he. He started as a, a QA tester, you know, in 1992. Uh, QA is like very entry level, right? And yet, 
within six months, somehow he was handpicked to lead a team to make an original game. <laughs> so this dude's amazing because he came out, of, much like the main character of the game, came out of nowhere, fresh out of college. No one knew who he was. And then within six months, he was leading a team that would make this iconic RPG that people would remember like decades later. And it's, it's worth knowing as well that I, I kind of alluded to it, but there wasn't an easy path for him to pitch this game. Like he, uh, he spent a lot of time getting this game greenlit as the way that it did. So it was, and early on when he was working, I think it was him and I forget the, the other designer that was working with him, but it was actually him and one other designer for a significant amount of time. They were just work. I think they worked for like six to eight months to construct the pitch and the background for this game. And uh, it, it was, they were really getting overwhelmed, and eventually he was able to sell. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons why it's called a Suikoden in reference to Water Margin is the 108 Stars of Destiny element is what ultimately sold Konami on the idea. And that wow. was the tipping point where they actually gave him a team. Before that, it was just him. It might not have been him and one other guy, but it was like a, it, it, it was a, a brutally small team, and it was mostly him working overtime to get the work done. So just like we talked uh, about, like... Um, Back with like Guilty Gear, sometimes great games are driven by by people like the the kind of odd thing where they have a vision and they have a passion and they really drive it forward. Like you you know you can't you can't discount and that's why having this new game being backed by the original creator is so exciting. So do you yeah. want to talk about the screenshots? Yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah. Let's get into the screenshots. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah. So if you go to uh, Gematsu, or um, yeah, I'm sure it's on several other websites. Uh, they they released some concept art and screens of uh, the world outside of the battle, um, and it's the Waterstead of uh, Quinja. And um, I'll I'll just say right away, if you look at the concept art, um, again, very very Chinese theme. Looks like a Chinese city with like canals, and there's a water wheel. That's one of the first things you see is a big water wheel, you know, they, they, you know, a, a water margin. It's a nice. Uh... Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like literally like showing you. <laughs> yeah. Which is, kind of, which is great. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, you learn this early on when you're world build, building anything, but like the, the, the environments in the world that you live in, the characters live in are just as important as the characters themselves. They are characters in their own right. And, uh, you know, from what I've seen here from these images, uh, you know, the world that you live in, in, in uh, then it definitely is a character in, in its own right. Like for sure. Like this game is absurdly beautiful in a, in a way that's very, I use this word lightly is that it's simple and effective because there is a lot of complexity to how they're achieving uh, the feeling that these environments have. But, uh, you know, to piggyback on something that you said earlier, it's just incredibly easy to digest, you know, mm. like it's, it's not over overly like visually complex, uh, but there's a lot going on in it, you know, without it becoming uh, disruptive for your eyes to follow where you need to go. Like it's, like, like that, that's a beautiful thing to me because I think sometimes people get kind of caught up in just making things look real. Um, not to say that those things don't fit for particular projects because they do, but I think sometimes just being able to communicate effectively and make it beautiful is enough. And I feel like this game has a, a good understanding of what's important and what's not important for the viewer to see. Yeah. Sean, can we get uh, your, your thoughts? 
yeah, so uh, I, I don't. I'm gonna talk about like more like the the gameplay stuff that they show rather than the concept first. Okay. Um, although I have a lot of it. Like I said, to me the the concept at the very least, like the idea of the character being in. Uh, kind of a bustling metropolis, like, again, coming from a very remote place. Um, like, you can tell, looking at uh, this the city they're showing, that there are expansive, beautiful buildings in the background. Like, there's clearly, uh, there's probably a seat of government in this in this town. Uh, there's certain areas, there's clearly areas of the town, like, um, there's clearly kind of this water area, the canals, there's a bit more of a, a marketplace that you're in. They, they um, I don't know as much about it, but you can even tell looking at the marketplace that's rendered in the, I guess I am talking about the concept art, rendered in the concept art that it's uh, it's very carefully created. Like they, they thought about the influence of what would be in a marketplace, but you can see in the background, there's just this, the imposing, uh, like almost castle-like structures um, that, that seem to definitely indicate that um, very similar to the Greg Minster of Shrikoden 1 and uh, Muse of Shrikoden 2, where you you relatively quickly within the, the, the outside of the game, you find yourself from someone from this remote town um, in the middle of this absolutely, like, metropolitan, bustling metropolis. And it's a really cool concept to see in an RPG because most RPGs don't actually render it very well. If you think about a lot of JRPGs, you're, you're often going from small town to small town. They have like five houses and, you know, yeah. it's usually a limitation of the, the rendering hardware or the ability of art. But um, I feel like Shrikunen has always been really good. And even in, in the Shrikunen games where you can't even see it, like you can't, you can't pan up and see the background. Something I love that they're doing in the gameplay here is they're using more layering uh, to, sh to show the, the ability to kind of give the expansiveness of the city. But like I said, if you look up Greg Minster from Shrikoden 1, and it also appears in Shrikoden 2, and uh, Muse, it's, it, it feels like a giant city. It really, you really feel like a small ant in relation to <laughs> this this, the politics that are going on around you, and I think that's very thematic of the game. Yeah. Um, so you were going to say? Oh, I, I just want to add to that. Um, uh, just to give some more context on, because as a, as, a, as a Western listener, if you look at these screens, you might think like, oh, Japanese game, it's probably like a Japanese city. But it's, this is very much a Chinese-inspired uh, city. It, it actually looks a lot like Suzhou. Um, that's spelled S-U-Z-H-O-U. If, if you Google that, uh, you'll see the, the buildings, the canals, the color palette. Uh, very similar. And then uh, just in general, um, <clears throat> a lot of times uh, when uh, Japanese people want to do a fantasy setting and they want sort of a bigger world and a like pluralistic society, they, they may reference Chinese culture before they reference uh, Japanese, right? Because uh, Japan was isolated for, for centuries, whereas uh, for most of, you know, uh, recorded history, like China was the major superpower uh, before modern times and had like the, the biggest cities and the history of the Silk Road. Uh, it's China's actually a very multicultural place. There, there's really no one uh, Chinese identity. E even the concept of like Han Chinese is kind of is kind of weird. Like there, there's so many different cultures um, in, in that within that culture. Uh, so I think that's why that's one of the reasons why they, they chose, you know, sort of a, a Chinese base. Um, and yeah, I, I just think it's also like a nice, just a nice change of pace for, for a fantasy game. Uh, it's, it, they, they do it really well, very tastefully, very subtly. It's really nice. So, uh, I was going to mention, so they have a couple screenshots that, 
uh, show the actual kind of in-game play. And like I mentioned, one thing that struck me immediately was that it's using a lot of parallax layering, which is mm. something that obviously the previous Shokoden games were were uh, top-down and they had a bit of a, a forced perspective. Uh, I'll seriously go back and look at Shokoden 2's like, environmental sprites. It is a it's still a beautiful game, like very, very well crafted. But it doesn't. It didn't give you that. It gave you that sense of scale in a lot of different ways, but not, not in the same way that it does here, where it uses. We mentioned a lot of the focal length of the camera using the battle system that's visible here, where they're they're showing a lot of layers. And I would bet, looking at the screenshot, like they have like gondolas in the background, and I would bet that that's actually animated, that it's bustling. Oh yeah. Something that they probably weren't weren't able to do on previous hardware. And it, so this actually reminds me a lot of what I think the developers behind, behind Octopath Traveler were attempting to do. Yes. Um, and it's not to say that they didn't fully execute it, but this is a, a thing where, again, I, I really I really like Octopath Traveler. I'm not, not trying to put them down, but I feel like these are just craftsmen that have literally 30, 30 plus years of development in the game industry, and their ability to mix 3D lighting and environments using camera focal length, using effective, like, focal flume lighting, and then mix in a 2D character... Uh, it just looks so much more controlled. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think Octopath m must have been one of the games that um, inspired them to even attempt this. Um, but I, I think they are they are pulling off what I think Octopath um, was trying to do. Or, or rather, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to be too presumptuous. I'll, I'll just say this. I, I prefer the execution in what I've seen of Ayudan versus Octopath because Octopath is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's very beautiful. Um, but I think it makes some concessions to modern tastes, uh, even though it, it's trying to capture that, that retro 16-bit feeling. Uh, but I think it, it's a little bit... Um, uh, what's the word? They do a lot of stuff to push the 16-bit aspect of it too much. Like the tiling is a little bit too obvious. The pixels are a bit too obvious, you know. So um, they make a lot of decisions that probably people in the 16-bit era would not have made. Uh, where, whereas, you know, Ayudan is very much developers from back then. Now with decades more experience on modern hardware, just making the best looking game they can with this aesthetic, but without any, you know, lavish devotion to uh, looking retro. It just comes off as incredibly sincere, you know? Yeah, 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 sincere. That is a, that is a key word, man, like, because you, you can't fake that. You know, you, you just, that's the, the one thing you can't really fake, like, that you really feel that here. And uh, I uh, wanted to mention, I'm sure we'll continue talking about the art, but I feel like even the screenshot they released of the protagonists, this like dialogue balloon, which I love the freaking design. It reminds me of Final Fantasy Tactics, like of the the dialogue balloon. It's very, uh, it, it's very like got this nice texture to it. It's very comic book, but it's not too over the top. But he says the dialogue they showed when he's talking to this character is, "You fight because you want more. I fight because I can't bear to lose anymore." Again, such a Shikoden idea with this protagonist. Like the protagonist usually in Shikoden usually loses a lot, um, uh, or at the very least um, is fighting to. To not lose any more. Uh, in in uh, both Chukoden one and two, the protagonist uses their loses their father figure, um, uh, or like I think generally before the events of the game. So I would imagine this there. So I just wanted to mention that I think even even that dialogue was intentionally chosen in this screenshot to show you that the DNA of Chukoden is very much intact in this game. Yeah. Yeah, that was intentional. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like that was incredibly intentional. They want fans to know, hey, we got you, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they got, you know, it's the two main characters. They got the red versus blue scheme. Like, you're, they're really setting up a rivalry here. Yes, yes. Uh, for sure. So I wanted to, uh, because because this is Art Eater and we have to psychoanalyze deeply <laughs> every detail in the screenshot. Let's do it. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't actually mean psychoanalyze, uh, just analyze. But I want to actually talk about, uh, in that screenshot where they're talking, I actually am very distracted by how beautifully the building is rendered. And there's a lot of detail in it that, again, is very Shikoden. Like, Shikoden, even in Shikoden 2, they did a very good job. And James was talking before about how the animation and the style makes it feel lived in. It makes it feel real. There's a lot they're doing here that I think would be fun to talk about around, like, the level of detail that they put into the building that doesn't just make it feel... It's not grimy for the sake of it, or it's not made yeah. real or gritty. There's a lot of detail that makes it feel like a real dwelling or, like a, or a restaurant. It feels... Uh, it, there's a lot there. So, Yeah, there's, there's specific choices that... They're, they're not just being made, but they're, be, they're carefully approached. Um, it's, it's, it's not just a, oh, you know... Uh, we're, we're basing this off of some photos we saw in China with no context. Like, oh, this place just looks dirty. It's like, no, there, there's a bit of, there's a specific type of wear and tear where you can almost imagine what a day in the life is like leading up to the point where these characters are just having to walk past that building or uh, a place that's in the market. Like, you can see uh, there's storytelling in what you don't see. Um, and that's difficult to... To, to communicate effectively. You know, a lot of games will be very obvious about, like, oh, well, this is what this is, and almost show you these things, but there's there's storytelling that's happening with, like, the way the buildings themselves are designed and what en encompasses, like, what's around them. Uh, and, and there's a distinct feel to that, that you don't even need that question to be answered, but you've, it's already been answered for you. I think, uh, can you think of the last game that showed you a dirty city that still felt like like a very um, high-class city? Do you know what I mean? Like, this is probably some kind of capital. And yeah, it's a bit dirty, but it's, it's, it's lived in, right? Right. Um, I'm actually struggling. Let me think. I don't know. <laughs> like, um, yeah, that's for, for instance, the walls are... Okay, here's the, their level of, of, of thinking, right? The walls are covered in mildew. But it's uh, it's it's a canal city. There's there's going to be a lot of moisture in there, and in fact, there's more mildew the closer you get to the water. Like the parts on yeah. the water, of course, are very green yeah. at the bottom. And then you know when you get out of there, like yeah, they they scrub it down every now and then, and it, it's it's not it it tells you a story of the city. It's it's a practical detail, but it's like yeah, it conveys to you like yeah, this is a canal city. <laughs> It's so cool. So I, I, uh, I, I am not qualified to talk about the full significance of this, but I also noticed, and I think this is a very, uh, an element of uh, ancient Chinese culture as well, is there are very visibly just cats chilling out in the in this in the shot. There's like one kind of on the dock, like cleaning itself. There's one sleeping on the roof. Like uh, I thought, I thought that that seemed to me, without knowing much about it, like something that you would see in an ancient Chinese capital, like cats playing around yeah yeah um i love the cats <laughs> i love that it's not just like a generic cat sprite it's like 
you know, that one just lazing on the roof, not even facing you, and then another one just kind of like draping off of the bench. They they feel like real cats. Um, I, okay, I'll I'll say this. Um, so, uh, cats have been a part of human culture for like thousands of years, um, but I think uh, there is a cultural difference between how cats are perceived uh, historically in 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 Western. Uh, yeah, let's say in European societies versus uh, East Asian. Um, I think in Europe, they remained very, very practical for a long time, right? Like, they, you know, that, that's why people domesticated cats in the first place. Like, we invented farming, we started collecting grains, grains attract uh, mice, and you need something to keep them away. So that's, you know, cats are perfect at that. Uh, they're, they're wonderful for that. Uh, we, we have lots of cats at our house that, that keep the mice out of our kitchens. But, um, uh so some of the first travelers like to to Japan, some of the early uh, records of uh, people visiting Japan from Europe were like, man, their cats are massive and lazy. Like they don't do anything. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> so I, I think sort of the modern concept of uh, just keeping a cat for leisure, like just as your buddy, um, I, I think that that. Well, I, that probably comes from from Egypt originally. Right. Where Where they were like revered as gods but um i i think that was uh, also very much kept alive in in uh east asia in 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 china and japan like if especially if you're if you're upper class you know you know if you're upper class you don't even have your grain stored at your house like you you collect them from from peasants and have them stored somewhere else and you just keep a cat for fun and um yeah, so you, you see that, like those those are lazy cats. Those are not working cats. Those are lazy cats. So this is a, a wealthy city. <laughs> it's that that level of detail and thought is really cool. You know, they, they didn't just throw those cats in there because like, oh, we love cats. You know, everyone on the internet loves cats. Like it, it actually is uh, organic. It's really describing the setting for you. I mean, again, I mean, absorbing the depth of this is this is just one shot. Like, that's the thing yeah. that, like, yeah. I, I'm reminding myself. It's like, you know, you've got a whole game of, like, things to, like, absorb and, and, and you know, recreationally piece apart that makes sense. Like, yeah. you know, it makes you that much more excited for, you know, what else is to come. I mean, I even, like, it's like, like the mildew thing, like, that was something that, that I noticed. And I was like, damn, dude, like, they are on the water. But it's like to the degree of it where it actually like goes away the further away they are from the water is like yeah like th there's there's a sincerity here that is is relatively unrivaled um, like it just and this is just where they're talking yeah let alone like things that they're actually gonna be like like other environments and other places that you're gonna be seeing like. It's it's details that matter. I, I think uh, we we keep mentioning like it's very um, this game has this cozy feeling because like all the details actually matter. Like they're they're not like trying to render every skin follicle and every strand of hair. They're but they're trying to convey what it feels like to be there, and that's a really important detail of of being in that city. Like that's something that if you were to visit, you know like a canal city in real life, like you, you would notice that and feel that. And that, that's what you would bring into the game. Details that it's, count. It's something that uh, at least you'll, you'll see me online, like always, uh, like whenever someone's like unhappy with a game, I'm always the one being like, 
you can be unhappy with something, you cannot like it, but I feel I always have this tremendous amount of respect for passionate game developers and artists because oh, yeah. like this kind of thing, the reason we can break this down is not because we're overanalyzing it, as I, I call it psychoanalyzing it. It's because there is a staggering amount of detail that goes into making environments and characters and stories believable. And and the things that you don't like all these details might seem like they don't need to do them. And they don't, but this is what's going to sell it. And to, to Richard's point, that cozy feeling, you pick up on it unconsciously. These are yeah. all the things that our mind is, is using to evaluate whether or not these places and characters are real and whether or not we can empathize with them, that we can build real connections and we can like, this is why people love games, why they love characters in games is it's not because like a air quotes, it's just a good game. It's that all these people came together to put in details to put Richard's point that matter because they're the things that our mind is using to analyze whether or not this is a real thing, whether or not I should care, uh, how I should use that. And it's just, it's one of those things where the, the like I said, the respect I have for all the artists that work on these things, it, not, not just because I was one of them, uh, you know, when we used to work on games, but mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot of, like, whenever you're, like, one of the things, like, when I'm playing a lot, a lot of the modern games that are out, like, uh, Basically, the last two PlayStation games, Last of Us Part Two and Ghost of Tsushima. I walk like those are things where I would encourage people just don't move too quickly through the game because like some of these artists spent like years crafting an environment that you might just trot by on a horse and never see it again. But it's all in service of making you believe that you're in the world that you're in, and it's all in service of telling you a story that really hits you. And like I, I think people often will talk about like the director or the characters, the dialogue or the pacing, blah blah blah. But I, I often feel like the artists and the animators can can occasionally be like unsung heroes. And even in games like unlike this one where they're capturing like motion capture and whatever, uh, bringing all this stuff together as an ensemble to create a believable world that you can that you that lands emotionally with you. It's something that's so cool about games that, like, it's why like, I'm constantly ready to talk about them and analyze how well-crafted they are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even something, like, on a on an incredibly simpler level, right? Like, you take, like, the original release of Shenmue, like, 1 on Dreamcast, right? Like, you know, it's just this supposed, like, open world that's painfully limited in comparison to what you can do now. But something as simple as Ryo being able to buy soda pop and drink it and for them to put so much focus on like this moment of like he's been walking around all day and he wants like a refreshing drink or he just wants like a carbonated drink like the 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 fact that the camera focuses on him it's not the same default camera when you're walking around uh the fact that his face winces at how strong it is and like the refreshingness of it it's like it's such a small thing in the game in the whole scheme of it but like it's one thing that he does in the game that makes you feel like oh man like he is a part of this world. He's not just talking to people and getting information. So that kind of attention to detail is a catalyst for immersion. I mean, that, that helps the whole uh, experience for the player. You know, like, 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 like you, we're all saying, like, these are things that add up that, you know, a player may not say anything about, but they're feeling them. Uh, and I mean, for this to be something that we're seeing simply in screenshots, like, I mean, like we're talking about a 21 second trailer. We're talking about a few screenshots and it's still something where there's so much depth to absorb. Um, and that's a testament to just things that matter, like, like not just hard work, but hard work that centralizes on what's important. It's very focused, very, very intentional. 
yet it comes off so effortless. Yeah. All right. Do we uh, do we want to go through the rest of the screens or? Um, I think that's it? most of them, with the exception of the concept art for the Seaside Cavern, unless yeah. uh, uh, unless I missed any. Uh, no, that's that's it. Um, all, all I want to say there uh, is there, there's the seaside cavern. There's like a wrecked ship, right? And then you see some uh, some white flowers growing out of the the ground around it. They look like lilies, maybe like bog lilies. Um, my well, I, it's a beautiful scene. My my only comment is uh, uh, white white flowers. Uh, that that's like a funerary color um, in in East Asian cultures in Japan and China, uh, for sure. Uh, so that that may be why they chose white there. In the previous screen, there's flowers. There's there's white and like uh, purple flowers. It's mixed. Here's just white. So um, if if you see white flowers in in a Japanese game, it's it's usually funerary. If if it's all white, like like, like in uh, Final Fantasy in the uh, slums where Aerith grows flowers, they're they're all white. That's some some foreshadowing there when she's hanging out there with Cloud. Oh, interesting. Oh, Sorry if that was um, spoiler for. I don't. Know. I kind of feel thing. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Retroactively, we've been spoiling. Well, hopefully, I didn't. Uh, hopefully, I didn't ruin the game for some Zoomers who have done an <laughs> job. Like, yeah. in, I would. I feel like uh, the spoiler embargo is definitely lifted okay. once again. Okay. Okay. So I, think you're, I think you're fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, all right. Any, any any other thoughts on uh, what we've seen of uh, Ayudin so far? I wanted to real quickly just finally. Oh, sorry, James. Go ahead. Oh, uh, the one thing I was going to say is uh, I feel like for for as much as it's rooted in something that has existed uh, before, I think it is a refreshing uh, revisiting. Um, through a new lens, a new game that I feel like even if you're not familiar with Genza Sukoden, um, give it a shot. Uh, especially if you, if you, if you like what you're seeing, if, you know, what we're saying is getting you to look at the screenshots a little bit longer or to look at the trail a little bit longer. And even if it's not doing that, like if you're just taking it for its face value to say, man, this looks like a fun thing to do, like... I would say support it. Um, you know, there's a lot of projects out here that, you know, people are genuinely focused on what it is they want to do. And, you know, they have a purpose in what they're doing. And they have the right people behind it. And I mean, in this case, they're doing it through, uh, I believe, a Kickstarter. So, yeah. you know, like, if this is a voice that you want to see more of, you know, I would say, you know, contribute whatever it is that you can, you know, support this game and, you know, let it be an experience for you that could potentially be a memorable one. Um, you know, for me, like, I don't see games like this that often. Uh, you know, the way that games are made and, you know, what people focus on is a lot different. I'm not saying one is wrong or better than the other. It's just this type of game um, just doesn't get made very often. Uh, and the fact that people are not only making it uh, confidently, <laughs> Um, you know, they're, they're presenting it in, in such a, a humble way. You can't help but feel like, man, like this is such an amazing thing. Like I, I want to support this. And again, if you're on the outside of that spectrum, this is all new to you, but you like it. Um, 
it may cause you to go down a, a wonderful rabbit hole of the games that came before it um, to experience what games are, are, are like when people approach it in this particular way. It's not necessarily about the era, but like what it makes you feel. So I would say uh, give it a shot. I, w I wanted to also add, so their Kickstarter campaign is launching uh, on July 27th and will run to August 28th. So let me like, kind of ca encapsulate how insane this is. They're only looking to raise uh, half a million dollars, $500,000, um, which if you know anything about modern game development, routinely game budgets stretch into the 30 millions to produce games like uh, like what you'd see a AAA studio produce. So uh, um, uh, 40 million... Forty million was the average ten years ago, <laughs> so I think the average AAA game is probably like closer to eighty million now. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. So, so it's, that's so insane to me. Like, like I said, it really is a thing. If you're sharing this, even if that's all you can do, that might be enough because, like, it's such a staggeringly low amount of money for how good this game is going <laughs> to be. Yeah, like relative to other game development. Yeah, I'm I'm super impressed with what they've thrown together so far. Like, obviously, um, they know what they're doing. They they have an amazing resume, but just I mean, God, we we just spent two hours analyzing like essentially like 15 seconds of footage. <laughs> there's there's a lot of thought that was put into this. Uh, um, I, I, I'm definitely going to support this. Um, and it, this is special. Like, obviously, if you're listening, if you made it this far, you're, you're you know you're probably a fan, or hopefully we've made you curious but um you know if, if you know people who are just like oh you know it's just some jrpg just some anime stuff it's like no no this is uh so many more layers of thought put into it um yeah i'll, I'll absolutely be supporting this this kickstarter which uh should be up by the time this podcast goes up yeah. and uh really i uh sean do you want do you want to close us out on this one because uh, th this is i mean you you are the true fan of uh, this franchise here. Uh, uh yeah sure I'll I'll uh, do I'll see if I can do the, the justice of the closing for for, for <laughs> but uh, I mean I've already said uh, a lot of my piece uh, for this to a degree but uh, if it's not been clear from this like uh, Shrikunen especially two is possibly my favorite game of all time I have played it probably fifteen times and it's not a short game. By any, by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um, and I've played it on PlayStation 1. I have played it on emulators. I have played it on the Vita. <laughs> uh, I even played it on the briefest time when I had the Ouya, the, uh, one of the game consoles that I also helped, I, I uh, oh. contributed to Kickstart. I downloaded this a ROM and played it on there with the controller. <laughs> this is your alpha, man. <laughs> it, it really is, yeah. So, so... Uh, like like we all said, this is something we'll be posting a lot of links, but uh, we're talking about this because it's super exciting, not just because we're fans of 2D and uh, well-crafted art and well-crafted games, but like to, to me, um, I, I even think I mentioned that originally, I don't know if I mentioned before or during the podcast, it's already been an hour and a half, but when I actually first heard about this, I did I did have a moment where I was like, oh no, no more Shukoden games, but but actually, um, I think that's, that really is what we're getting here is the next real like um, the next logical extension of the Shikoden one and two games. Like I said, I actually like three, four, and five for the Shikoden games, but they never quite captured the magic that the first two did. And it made I always thought, well, maybe it's because I'm a two D guy, or you know, uh, you know, maybe I didn't like the the other types of settings and stuff like that. Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to the, the, a lot of stuff we're talking about. So uh, I definitely encourage you to uh, really watch this trailer, look at the screenshots. 
uh, you know, share it. Really, watch, like, see if you like it. Really, let people know. These are the, like to me. These are the kind of games that uh, I'm I'm excited to see come, and I will definitely be supporting it and playing it. Uh, uh, it's it's going to be. Uh, it looks like they're trying to get funding to put it on the PS5, the Series X, and the Switch. I think this would be a fantastic Switch game. So I'm I'm all here for that. Um, actually, I remember that also um, Battle Chasers by uh, Joe Mad also got kickstarted and eventually made its way onto the Switch, and it's also a really fun. Uh, RPG that is uh, 2D and very well crafted, very classical uh, in a lot of ways. Although I think this one's going to knock it out of the park. Uh, Noah, that that one's done by THQ Nordic, which is really uh, I'm a really big fan of that developer, and I'm I'm rambling about it now. But 2D games uh, are still kind of uh, an independent thing. We don't see a lot of big studios, and even though this is effectively an independent one, these are deep talented veterans of the game industry. So uh, glad. That we could talk about it and super excited so um anyway thank you for listening uh, again you can uh, follow us on twitter at art eater podcasts to hear whenever the episodes go up or you can subscribe to us on anything that is capable of playing a podcast uh, even if you have a ti83 calculator that has a podcast app we will be on there um i also uh recommend that uh you follow uh, Richmond, the original art eater, at Richmond underscore Lee. He always has uh, insightful tweets, and we'll probably be talking about this. Uh, we're starting to post a lot of follow-ups on our Twitter, on Art Eater Podcast as well. So if uh, you're interested in, in uh, diving into the artists we talk about or the tangents, uh, that's also a good reason to follow. And lastly, I want to thank uh, James for coming on yet again, being a, our most consistent guest and always bringing uh, his, his, his A-game. Um, sorry, uh, you can follow him at uh, beefy underscore uh, Konoichi. Uh, James, do you want to say anything before we co- finally close out? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a guy who, who likes a lot of fighting games and uh, likes to draw comics and do storyboard work. Um, and I have a project that I'm working on that is an extremely passionate one. Uh, there's a lot of updates for it. It's called Part-Time Shuffle. So if you want to... Stay up to date on little snippets of what I'm doing for that. Um, possibly buy the books um, and see a sneak peek into what else I'm working on for part-time shuffle. Uh, beefy underscore Kunoichi is a really good place for uh, you to stay up to date and to see me kind of passionately ramble about fighting games from time to time. Cool. So thank you very much for listening and spending what is usually two or three hours with us talking about games. So we'll, uh, you'll, you'll all listen to us next time. Uh, thanks. Right. Take care.